Amen. And on this Valentine's Day, we certainly want to celebrate the greatest love that mankind has ever known, and that's the love of God toward us through His only begotten Son, Jesus. I want to encourage those of us all who serve the Lord, who teach, who minister, who do anything in the name of Jesus to be an encouragement to you today. Because you see, there has been so much discouragement, I think, in the past year for a lot of people. I am reading where pastors are resigning and and uh, church leaders are discouraged and leaving their post. And uh, people are just uh, discouraged with the COVID situation, with the lack of physical contact like we always enjoy in church fellowship and, and any number of reasons. Uh, but let me encourage you today through this message. I'll be in the 13th chapter of Acts. Begin at verse 42 and read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Well, here is Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip. And this town happens to be Antioch in Pisidia. Not Antioch in Syria, but Antioch in Pisidia. And so it is, they have traveled from Cyprus inland, and they have gone over the Taurus Mountains into this area of Antioch, Pisidia. And here Paul has just begun had just finished preaching a great sermon, and there was a very positive reaction. To all of us who are servants in the Lord, anytime we do anything in the name of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a response, and there's going to be a reaction of some magnitude or another. And that's true of the response, and it's true of the reaction. The response is... Seen here in verses 42 through 44, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue. People invited them to speak further. And don't you just love that? They may not have intended to stay another week. They may not have intended to stay another day. And yet, because of the response to their ministry, their message, and they were asked by the people to come back. And next week, when we all meet together for in the synagogue for worship and teaching. Would you come back and teach us some more? And of course, then they followed them and had times with them. I, I like these times personally. I remember there was a time when I had been asked to go to Haiti to accompany some women who were going to be working with the children in Haiti in Port-au-Prince right after the earthquake had hit. And... Uh, I asked the person that wanted me to go and, and just be a chaperone to the women. Just make sure that you watch out for their safety. And I said, well, what am I going to be doing while they're working with the kids? I don't know, he said. I have no idea. But I need you to go. And so uh, I left that year. I never will forget it. Uh, we, we got there on Saturday evening, and I preached two sermons on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And after the Sunday evening sermon, one of the pastors came to me, Haitian pastors, and he looked at me and he said, tomorrow morning, 
you meet here at 8 a.m. and we'll have seminary. And I said, seminary? And what will that consist of? He says, you'll be teaching. And I said, what will I be teaching? He said, it's your call. You choose. I get the pastors. You get the message. And I said, that sounds good to me. So every day, Monday through Friday, we met from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. We had 17 Haitian pastors that met with me. And we had Q&A sessions in between all of that. And then at night, we had worship services. It was a blessing to me. Anytime that I am in a situation, a circumstance where I find people that are hungry for the Word of God. It's a blessing. And this is Paul and Barnabas. They may have been tired physically. They may have been tired emotionally. uh, But they found it to be a blessing. You see, in the Greek, when the people invited them, that word literally means in the Greek that they begged Him, they urged Him. They were insistent on them staying until the next time that the entire church was together. Speak next Sabbath. And then he urged them, the Bible says, to continue in the grace of God. So some of them were already believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in that area at that time, we believe. And some were Jews who were adamantly uh, observing the law as it had been presented in the Old Covenant. And others were God-fearers, and some who had converted fully, some non-Jews had converted fully to Judaism. But they were all interested in knowing the Word of God. And the Bible says that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. Can you imagine? Those of us that have been in those circumstances would find that to be exciting. And the place was absolutely packed. A great crowd gathered. And... I've had those situations in different areas where uh, the, the announcement has been made, there's been a guest speaker from America, and, and uh, I guess that was my main claim to fame, was that I was from America and that I knew the Lord. And that's a good claim to fame. And we had the place packed. In this time, the place was packed. They had never seen this synagogue packed before, I'm sure. But this was packed, and it was overflowing, People out on the streets probably lining up. We had that same situation in India when we were there. We had people lining up on the side of the building, listening to the windows, uh, through the windows that were being opened so they could hear. They kept the front door open so the people across the street could hear. And it was just quite a time. And the Lord was moving. There is that response to the Word of God where He is just responsive to the people's hearts. And the people's hearts are responsive to the Lord. And you love that time. It's great. Teachers, you who have taught the Bible, you have proclaimed the Word of God, you who are are ministering in some way, see the response of people in a positive way, and it absolutely warms your heart. It just makes you want to go an extra mile, whatever that might be. Well, then there's the reaction. Mm. There's always reaction, folks. You're always going to have boo birds in the stadium. They're going to be booing the batter. They're going to be booing the pitcher. They're going to be booing the opposing team. Sometimes they they boo the home team. But they're there. You're going to have the reaction. But we come to realize that, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers that are combating God. 
the, the forces of Satan and all of his minion forces are in, in combat with the Lord God and they are doing everything they can to dissuade people from trusting Jesus. And so there's reaction. Look what it says. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. I could hear the, the rabbis, the teachers. Wait a minute. We've never had this many people come to our Bible study before. I think I'm a pretty good teacher, they were thinking. And yet they come for these out-of-towners, these guys, these traveling evangelists. What's this all about? I've actually, it's a rare, it's a rare experience, but I've actually heard pastors kind of uh, talk a little bit about some jealous feelings they had when a visiting evangelist has all these people come forward to services, and here they have been working for years and hadn't seen that kind of an outpour of decisions. Which I tell them, but you prepared the way for them. The soil was prepared for their arrival. Rejoice with them. That's what we do. And so, Paul proclaimed that God had sent the message to the Jews, but they rejected it. Notice them in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Peter said to the Sanhedrin in Acts 3, When God raised up His servant, He sent Him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This was to the leadership of the Jewish nation. In Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first, to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. And you see, Paul affirmed that he had to go to them first. Any time in this missionary journey that the Apostle Paul was speaking, he went to his people first. Who were his people? Well, you know, Paul was raised as a, as a Jew, schooled in the school of Gamaliel. He was in the finest of the rabbinic schools, considered a rabbi himself, was on a mission to destroy any adherence to the Christian faith when the Lord met him on his way to Damascus. And Saul felt that those who were raised in that Jewish tradition needed to understand this, this Jesus that they were persecuting is the Messiah. This Jesus that they crucified is the Messiah. He is the one that was predicted and prophesied by the uh, prophets of old. And see, the Word of God began to spread. And He says, we had to speak this to you first. But since you reject it, you do not consider... You see some sarcasm coming out here? You do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We turn it over to the Gentiles. Evidently, you don't think that you deserve eternal life. You're so laden down with your rules and regulations that I'm going to turn to the Gentiles. They're looking for eternal life. You're obviously looking for ways to avoid it, is what he's saying. And yet I'm going to turn to those who are not Jewish. I'm going to turn to those whose hearts are tender, who's, who are open to and receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're the ones that I'm going to give this message. For then he quotes Isaiah, the prophet. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Wow. 
that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The prophet Isaiah told the people of Israel, the reason why God selected you was not because you were the best looking, the most intelligent, the wisest of all people on earth. God wanted a people to bear His Word to the rest of the world. The new covenant is to us through Jesus Christ to do the same thing. And yet, He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. I used to love what Howard Hendricks used to say. Where there's light, there's bugs. (laughs) And the more light, the more bugs. So anytime you begin to shed light on a subject, especially the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's going to be bugs. There's going to be reaction. There's going to be moths that are drawn to the light. The Bible tells us in John 1 that Jesus came to His own. And what happened? His own did not receive Him. But then He continues by saying, but everyone who receives Him, to them He gave the power to become children of God to everyone who believes on His name. Wow. So, here was the reaction. They were upset. The Bible says specifically they were jealous. They were jealous at the crowds. They were jealous at the the wisdom of Paul and Barnabas. They were jealous probably because of the reception of the people to Paul and Barnabas' message. They were jealous. And they could hear the people. We've never heard anything like this before. We haven't seen anything like this before. This is not something that anybody's ever told us before. And they were jealous of everything about the scene. So what did they do? The Bible says is that they started stirring up the women and the men. When the, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They honored the Word of God and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. God took the initiative and those who opened their hearts to the message received it and were, and were saved. The Word of God, the Lord spread through the whole region, the Bible says. But, You've got to have those billy goat statements at the end of something good, huh? But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women. These were not Jewish women. These were women that were coming out of a Gentile, a non-Jewish environment. God-fearing women. And the beauty of it is, is in the Greco-Roman world at that day, women had no, no rights, no powers, nothing outside the house. And so they were not seen on an equal plane with men. The Jewish faith began to elevate them uh, higher than where they were. And so they became God-fearing women. In other words, they became sympathetic to the Jewish God and to the Jewish tradition. So then these leaders started going to the women. Go to your guys. Go to the government officials. I want you going to the community leaders. I want you taking. I want you to get all of this, all of this uh, political power and prowess that we can amass, and let's eliminate these guys. They're becoming a threat to our power structure. And so they did. The Bible says that the. Uh, Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women on high standing, of high standing, and the leading men of the city. So what do you think they did then? 
They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. You're going to always have reaction when you have a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you. Look at the third thing that they did. And this is, I want to spend some time on this tonight. The Bible says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense to a lot of people. How could that happen? And I see in the, and as they leave the Pisidia, they head to Iconium. And we pick it up in the next chapter in Iconium. And they had even worse treatment there. Because the citizens were so enraged, they wanted to stone Paul and Barnabas. But wait a minute. In between this, sandwiched, is this statement that says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. How can that be? Those of you that have been continuing to teach, to serve, to minister, to do the things that you're doing in the name of the Lord over the last 12 months and have been so discouraged you just wanted to drop out. Look at the words they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is joy. One of the nine fruits. And there in this, in joy, is something that can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not happiness. It's, the, it's not happiness at all. Happiness is fleeting. It's, it's transient. It happens, we're happy when we're eating ice cream. You know? But then the ice cream's gone, the happiness is over. We're happy when we get gifts or when we're, in a, when we're in a pleasing situation or circumstance. But joy is something that, that occurs inside, internally, in the heart of mankind when we are at one with the Lord in spite of any circumstances. This joy surpasses, exceeds, transcends all human understanding. It comes to us only through Jesus Christ. Jesus said when He was preparing the disciples for His own death. In John 15, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You can't have complete joy without Jesus. It's not possible. In John 16, Jesus says, But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Ask and you will receive and your joy will will be made complete. John 17, that great pastoral prayer, that last prayer that we have recorded before Jesus is executed by crucifixion. Jesus prayed, but I say these things while I am still in this world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. James would take it one step, would take it the same direction but it would say, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of many various forms and fashion. Count it all joy. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that joy is the business of heaven. There are three parables in Luke 15. You know, some of you have not looked at Luke 15, let me tell you what they are. The first parable 
is the parable of the lost sheep. You see, Jesus is there in an audience and He's got tax collectors and sinners, the Bible says. And in addition to those tax collectors and sinners, you've got Jewish leaders. And so, they're trying to catch Jesus in saying something amiss or wrong or or contrary to what the law would say. And, And the tax collectors and sinners are simply there with a receptive heart. So Jesus uses these three parables. He says, suppose, consider, you're a shepherd, you've got a hundred sheep. One of those sheep strays. You leave the 99 and you go look for that one sheep that has strayed. And then when you find it, you put him over your shoulders and come back and you gather all the other shepherds and the family and friends and rejoice over that one sheep that was found. Said it is, there is more joy in heaven over that one sheep that is found, over that one sinner who repents, more so than the other 99 who feel like they have no need of repentance whatsoever. Or there's the parable of the woman and the lost coin. And she, part of her dowry, and she has lost it between the boards probably in her floor, and she finally finds that coin. And she is so excited. And she calls her family and friends and neighbors, and they all rejoice with her over that coin that was found. The Bible says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over that one sinner that repents. Anything that brings joy to God brings joy to those of us who love Him. So our greatest joy should be over that one person who has trusted Jesus Christ as, our Lord, as their Lord and Savior. And that ought to be our mission and message from this point forward. Why? Because when those who are reacting against this gospel, those townspeople and, and religious leaders, were reacting against the gospel, they were doing something that would only last that day. But the disciples left the town knowing that they did something that would last for all eternity. You know why they had joy? The third parable was the parable of the prodigal son. We all know that parable. And there was the the prodigal who had strayed away and returned home. The father told his servants, go kill the fattened calf. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's have a party. Let's rejoice. It's party time. My son who was lost has now come back. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's rejoice. Can you hear the laughter and the joy and and the ringing down the quarters of heaven over that one person that, that repents? And this is what Paul and Barnabas were hearing, I think, as they were leaving the town. They could hear the wonderful sounds of of the people rejoicing over what they had experienced and the Messiah that they had just embraced and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that had been proclaimed to them through Barnabas and Paul. Wow. Joy is the business of heaven. There's no question about it. Well, so I want you as servants, as ministers, as leaders, as believers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to understand that everything that you do in the name of Jesus Christ, even though it may not be received by everyone, is something worth being joyful about. Don't be discouraged. I mean, granted, we're, we're not up to full capacity in, in our physical worship yet. No, we're not. we got a lot of people online. And I'm rejoicing with the people who are online. This message is carried around the world. Online. And so I thank God for those who are joining us online. It is my responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ faithfully and I have joy in doing so. I have joy in doing so. Man, it's, what about this one statement? Well, what about those that didn't receive Christ? Sometimes we dwell on the negative far too long. Sometimes we let the, the, what we consider failure color our lives, color our way, color our, our uh, future. You would think they would be downcast, a little discouraged over being run out of town? No. Verse 51 says, So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. What does that mean? Disregard this town? Well, it, it came from a, a long-standing thing from the Jewish tradition to where when Jews would leave their area of, of Judah or Israel, when they would leave their nation and go into Gentile regions, non-Jewish regions. When they came back into their area, they would shake the dust off it because it was a symbol of, of the uncleanliness that they had encountered. So when Jesus sent the twelve disciples out, He said in Luke 9, If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. When Jesus sent out 72 messengers in Luke 10, He said, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. And he would continue by, Jesus would continue by saying, Whoever listens to, to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him or the one who sent me, the Father. They're not rejecting you, ultimately. They're not rejecting your message, ultimately. They're rejecting Jesus. And so that's on them. So just shake the dust off your feet. Don't allow it to, to stick in your crawl and become something that nags and gnaws you day in and day out. That just simple symbol of shaking the dust off your feet, just, just mark it up as experience. Say, you know what? I did my best. I gave it my best shot. I'm going to move on because we all need to move on in life. We all need to know that even though I have served, I have ministered, it wasn't as fruitful at that particular time as I thought it should be, yet if I was faithful in discharging, my responsibilities, God's going to use it and bless it for His glory. So be encouraged, servants. Be encouraged, teachers and church leaders. Those of you who are out in the community serving your neighbors and your friends and your family, 
don't let those who are antagonistic or oppositional to you begin to uh, direct your path. Just get to that point where you simply shake the dust off your feet and move on. Because in Iconium, in the next area, on the next day, in the next hour, there are other people, other circumstances, other situations that need you to be at the top of your spiritual game. So just shake it off. What does a team do when they suffer defeat? If you don't put it behind you, it's going to kill you the next time out. And so you and I need to be the same way. Don't let those comments, don't let those, those, uh, those nagging uh, people who are continuing to harass you about your faith in Jesus Christ, don't let them begin to direct your path, your day, your activity. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Some of you here today perhaps are listening to this message. Do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray that today, if you have never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, that today you'll do so. Maybe you've never trusted Christ, uh, uh, but maybe you have, and, but you have not publicly professed Christ, or you followed Him in scriptural baptism by immersion. Today is your day to indicate this is what the Lord is calling you to do. I want to be faithful. I want to continue in the grace of God, as the Scripture says. And the grace of God is requiring certain things of you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Whoa, we've got a great church family here. I strongly encourage you to consider us to come alongside you and you come alongside us that we in a symbiotic relationship can have a spiritual family that's molded together for the glory of God. And then finally, all of us. It's a time to put the past behind us, put the past experiences behind us, to focus. Don't ever lose your focus on Jesus Christ. Peter lost it when he stepped out of the boat. And all of a sudden, when he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the waves all around him, then he began to sink. And it is a reflection of who you and I are in our own daily activity. Sometimes we just let the waves of, of, of life, the, the turmoil, the crises, the, the stress and the strains of life get the best of us because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. But shake the dust off your feet. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next experience. When you focus on Jesus, the joy of the Holy Spirit will be yours. Will be yours. Would you stand with me for prayer? Our most gracious Father, we come before you today grateful. We're excited, Lord Jesus, about following you. Oh, sometimes we feel like we have suffered losses in, the, in serving you, Lord Jesus. But help us to realize that you're in each and every situation, each and every circumstance, each and every time that we give our testimony or tell somebody about Jesus, you're there. And Father, I pray for these to whom the gospel has been proclaimed, 
I pray that they will receive it. I pray that that seed will grow in their hearts, that they'll come to know you. These who are looking at eternity and where to spend it, Lord Jesus, I pray that they look to you as the author and finisher of their faith. Father, thank you for what you're doing. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for these decisions being made. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I will be here at the end of this service to talk to you about any decision that you have or any questions you might have. But have a great Valentine's Day. God bless each and every one of you.